Hello everyone, I'm Kevin Miller and this is The Ziggler Show, where our goal is to inspire your true performance. In this episode, showing up for your own life. Fear, being stuck, I mean everyone can relate to those realities and they are not where we want to be. Jennifer Allwood truly provides a breath of fresh air to this issue and she does it by relating, commiserating and having compassion. You can not fully eradicate fear from your life, but you can manage it and move forward anyway. Jennifer cites you can have emotions, feel emotions, recognize emotions, but still do big, hard and scary things in spite of those emotions. Jennifer uses her social media following of half a million people, her podcast, the Jennifer Allwood show, coaching groups with thousands of members, and now her number one best-selling book, Fear is Not the Boss of You, to help others do for their businesses what she has done with hers. And I'd also say their lives, as you'll hear in this show. Jennifer is steadfast in using her business as a way to serve God and her family and her goals to use the tools so readily available, social media, email, the internet, as the way to make this happen. She knows that getting unstuck and pushing through the overwhelm and doing things in spite of fear are key in growing any business and just a fulfilling life. And friends, this was just a fun and poignant discussion. And I'm proud to bring Jennifer and this message to you. She came to me by way of Pete Vargas, who introduced us and he said, Kevin, you've got to have Jennifer on the show, and I'm so glad he did. You can connect with Jennifer at jenniferallwood.com, where you'll find her new book, Fear is Not the Boss of You. Of course, you can find it anywhere you buy books. So I'm going to bring Jennifer to you right after I share some great products and services. Well, Jennifer, I... I just had fun reading the book. I felt like I'm sure everybody does felt like they got to know you and you're such a personable person. But as I looked at it and just probably about halfway through, I felt like man, the spirit seems to be so much of you dispelling a lot of commonly accepted truths for women, for women's roles, for business, and really kind of the Christianese perspectives we tend to tend to come over. And, and I really appreciated you saying that a lot of this is you speaking these bold truths that it's hard for you to say out loud because you just nailed me as a writer. Uh, and even yeah. sometimes on these podcasts, I can say things that's harder for me to say face to face. And I, but the spirit of it was just a gift. I felt um, it reminded me of Rachel Hollis, who I know is a friend of yours. And yeah, I know Rachel. Yeah, I've been to her event. So thank you for that. I mean, um, it was it, it was interesting because. Um, I don't know if you know this, but I actually restarted the book four times. No, and, I read that. You said that. Okay. That was interesting to me. And yeah. the last, um, and I think my publisher is probably going, quit telling people this. But I think that yeah. this is super important for people I, because I want, I want to be relatable, not from like a manipulative standpoint, but I want people to understand that people that look like they're really successful in the online space and they have big businesses and, and what have you, we are really just like real average people the same, the same as everyone else. And so I hope that my story will help encourage some other woman, but, um, I had six weeks. I started the manuscript with six weeks before my deadline, um, got about 40,000 words in, hated it, scrapped the whole thing, got about another 25,000 words in. I was like, this is crap. Everything's trash. It's awful. Everybody's going to hate it. I hate it. So threw it away. Um, started a third version, did the same thing in six days before my book deadline. I scrapped everything and just started over from scratch. And when I finally did that time, like I knew in my knower that that was the book I was supposed to write. Yeah. And it just like, 
it just poured out of me. I said like hot lava. It was, it was amazing. Like I couldn't stop the writing and we were done with, you know, a day to spare, even though I was just days, hours before the deadline. But, um, and so I'm really proud of the book I wrote. So thank you for, for well, that, and that story is, I don't know if it's encouraging or depressing as I write because, uh, I was talking with part of the team yesterday and I have such a hard time going back to what I write and, and, and revising it. I'm just mm-hmm. apt to, yeah, just, just let me start over. Just let me, cause I, yeah. new thoughts today, but it's still, the book felt, feels like the message feels like a, a breath of fresh air, especially in this space you. where you're not coming from the, Hey, I've succeeded and I've arrived and here's the seven steps for you to. Well, I hope that the book, instead of pointing people towards me or pointing people back towards themselves, my hope is that the book points everybody towards um, the Lord uh, because I'm a woman of faith. And um, and so I feel like that was probably what was missing the most out of those first couple of versions. And it was kind of like God was like, all right, girl, we're going to keep redoing this, Jen, until you actually get it right. Because I, you know, I was I talked to somebody right before I started the writing process. And in when you write a book, there's lots of there's lots of people, Kevin, there's lots of different team players. And, and I talked to a person who was going to be helping us with the promotion. And he said, you know, Jennifer, if you get too much of God in this book, it'll never make the shelves at Target. Yeah. And part of me was like, wah, wah, wah. and the other part of me was like, uh, uh-uh, now it's on. And yeah. so, <laughs> you know, once I really fully like l- really leaned into the, okay, now it's on part. Um, the, the book did Uh, It really came out of me. It was so hard to keep out the truth. And I remember one time when I was, you know, in the early writing stages of those six weeks, I remember one time literally feeling like I heard the Lord say in my head, don't you dare sacrifice truth in this book at the altar of book sales. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. And so, because the truth is like, we are super um, focused on our feelings and on ourselves in the year 2020. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have four kids that I can look at and I can definitely tell you each of them is very self-centered and I am too as their mother. And I think that we're all very concerned with, you know, our likes on Facebook and on Instagram, whether an influencer or not, but just Um, Everybody wants to be seen and wants to be heard. And there's a lot of focus on our feelings and doing what feels good. And I just don't know that that lines up biblically with what is the truth. And so I just kept trying to repoint people towards what the truth is, because it's only the truth that's going to set them free. Okay, so we're going to take that and go down a road that I had not planned right there, because I know you speak to business specifically. And so there are people out, of course, in the audience, there's men and women. But as you just uh, talk there, you hit on something that's a bit of a, I don't know if I want to call it a soapbox. It's just important to me, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially from a faith-based perspective. When we have these messages, when we have these truths, these these things we think that has been revealed to us, we want to share with other people. I have unfortunately seen so many people with what I do believe is an anointed message that they had, Mm -hmm. but I saw it fall under. So here you are saying, God convicting you, don't you hide any of these truths for book sales? And yet I also see some of these great truths die behind a bad brand, a bad book cover, a bad, uh, you know, positioning aspect too. And, and I'm, gonna, and I'm saying that and I feel comfortable with you cause you've done yeah. it great. You've done a great job. Thank you. Uh, in my opinion with, I mean, even from the book cover on down, I mean, you're doing the work. And so there's this balance that I'll ask you to speak to for everybody listening of yeah, being true to your message, being true to the spirit that you're doing but also 
if you'll allow me to say, play in the game. Uh, and yeah. I, I go back to the scripture of rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And the marketplace Amen. is very much that. So how do you, so I'll let you run with that right there because you've got a book and you're saying God's right. convicting you to be true to the truth and not just write the thing for book sales. And yet you also need to play the game. Yeah. So um, it's interesting because when I first started my social media years and years ago, you know, at this point, I've been on Facebook for a decade. Like, isn't that ridiculous to even think of it's life before weird. Facebook? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. know. And so, um, and I quickly got to this like place where I realized, okay, I'm really good at social media. And I mean, my numbers are, you know, small in comparison to some of them that you're dealing with, but we have 360,000 followers on Facebook. I have that's, half a million followers. Well, you know what? Let me speak. That, that's huge. One. Though too, and I want everybody to hear this, the numbers are one thing, the engagement is another and your engagement is good. So I look at that and I'll see some people with five times your numbers and the engagement is so low and I can tell what, I can tell what game is being played. Yes, exactly. And so, um, and so the way that I was building my social media is I owned a painting company locally here in Kansas city. And we got to do like several episodes of extreme home makeover with ABC and Ty Pennington. And that was fun. And I had a client like fly me to Belize one time and that was fun. And so when I'd post about my painting and stuff, that would be great. But when I would actually post about anything that had to do like with my kids, or with my faith or stuff that was not related to painting. Yeah. That's what would do better. You know, and now we know this in 2020 that, you know, how, relatable posts and things people can relate to and, you know, keep it personal. But 10 years ago, that was kind of new on Facebook. People were only using their business pages for business. So to see a businesswoman who was talking about painting on one post and then the next post talk about how God was building her painting business, I think people weren't used to seeing that mixture of faith and business both. And I think that's, it, I think that was actually possibly a breath of fresh air yeah. that people were like, holy smokes, you know, she's actually talking about business, but also not afraid to mix her faith in there. And, you know, over the years, as my faith has even grown and as I've gotten more comfortable in my own skin, because see, I think the two of those things are really key. I mean, the woman that I was 10 years ago would have possibly been like, oh gosh, I'm not sure how much Jesus to share on my page for fear of offending people. Yeah. And the Jennifer today in 2020 is like, I'm sure I'm about to offend some people. And I'm sure I'm going to get some unfollows, but I'm also going to magnetize to me the people that are really in great alignment just to follow my page or to become a client of mine. And, um, and I'm even seeing this in my business coaching. So I coach over 2000 women every month. We have a couple guys in there on how to grow your business in the online space, how to use social media and how to grow it there. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've had this business group for five years. It's a $47 a month. There's over 2000 women in there. It's amazing. Well, three or four years ago, I, you know, coaching some woman real time, just like you and I are sitting here right now in front of, you know, a crowd of people in the online space. And, um, and I just felt like I was being prompted to pray over her. And I was like, Oh man, this could get weird fast. Like, let's see. And, and she received that really gracefully and she cried. And I don't know if we share the same Christian faith or not. Uh, but then it kept happening. And it kept happening. <laughs> and now my people know when they come into my coaching group, I mean, we do, we do have people of all faith in there, but I also do my business coaching, not manipulative, not like using my faith, but I can't coach. I can't teach people about business without that part of it. Does, yeah. that, does that make sense? Like it's, it's impossible for me because so much about business has to do with mindset. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so many people want to take mindset and they want to make it into something weird and freaky when really it's just God breaking off strongholds and God like 
helping you to see things and reframe things in a different way that's truth and maybe not what you originally thought. And so it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to leave my faith out of anything at this point. I just, Mm -hmm. it's not like I can compartmentalize, okay, here's my sweet little coaching business. And then also here's Jennifer, the girl that goes to church every weekend. I just, I can't keep them separate. So, um, so that seems to be working really well for us. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the reasons the book I believe is going to do well. And I say that with like fingers crossed on my lap right now. And I'm like, come on, Lord, make it happen. But I think it's going to do well because I feel like I have also built an audience, Kevin, who's, um, they're not people of faith, a lot of them. Mm. They're not sure what they think about faith. Maybe they've been really hurt by the church or wounded by Christian people in general. But because they like me, um, for whatever reason, you know, whether it's the fact that there's always something I feel like people can relate to. Um, I'm married to a complete extrovert. I'm a total introvert. We have three bio children and are uh, adopting um, a fourth kiddo. And so there's that that some people relate to. But I feel like people will kind of put up with the Jesus in me sometimes, even if they're not sure. And what always feels like a win to me is when I get people who message me and they're like, for the first time in 10 years, 20 years, I went back to church this weekend, or you made me really start to want to pray again, or, you know, there's, there's just, it's, it it comes in all different forms, but I feel like I have an, an opening and in with a lot of people who just aren't quite sure about faith, but they're willing to listen if that makes sense. Well, it, it is. And you, you, you talk about being relatable and you are so much in your in your book and what I've seen online, and of course now being with you face to face. But you use your faith within the real world. That's what I got out yeah. of initially reading the book. It wasn't uh, how can I say this? I'll try to be tactful here. It wasn't. Oh, I'll, I'll try to help you. Okay, <laughs> it was, I know exactly what you're going it, it for. It wasn't on stage talking. Uh, you know, in, in generalities, this is real world stuff, and you brought it into the real life stuff, and and almost broached a lot of the things that I think everybody's thinking. And I I know you're speaking again, primarily to women as a guy, I feel like I got just as much out of it. Um, Thank you. I've I've had a couple guys tell me that. Well, and (laughs) so I will, I will say that, but I also appreciate that even there being true to who your audience is. And from a business coaching standpoint, not that that's the focus specifically of this show, but I do want people to hear that of you being authentic. That's one of the stories from Zig Ziglar that he was told early on as he was on stage in front of more and more people that he probably should kind of, you know, slow down down. Yeah, Yeah. on that God (laughs) stuff. And he said, yeah. That's one of the best, uh, best aspects of advice I didn't follow, you know, ever. And yeah. it didn't, of course, uh, yeah. that was a primary part of that. And you're showcasing, yeah. Talking about being on, on, um, you know, on, in the pulpit, you've yeah. got one, you've got one here. Yeah. That's probably more impacting than most that are in a church well, today. You. I'll say, well, I think sometimes we can get so churchy with non-churchy people that we have so yeah. little chance of getting them to be churchy people. Do you know what I mean? And yes. so it seems like a lot of um, great writers and bloggers, and it's it's not that I'm trying to dumb down the gospel at all, because hopefully you saw that I wasn't, Mm-mm. but I am trying to make it like relatable because I think some people, they're afraid that if they were to even just start uh, praying or going to church that... Um, it's going to be boring. It's not going to be any fun. It's going to be, and that is not my experience with my faith at all. I mean, 
like partnering with God for my business and my book, it is a wild ride. It's anything yeah. short of boring. And so my hope is that people like they read my things, they see my stuff on social media and they're like, you know what? She's not like beating me over the head with her Bible. She's not talking in words that I can't understand. I mean, because sometimes I think we do that as Christians. We, we talk in ways that a person who's not, um, you know, in a church, like they, it, it, they can't even like, what are you even saying? Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, it's like another language. And so, um, I've tried to make it relatable, not even necessarily on purpose. I think I just, God's given me some grace in that space. You in the book talked about, cause I want to stay on this tangent, talked about a conference, maybe the first one that you did. I think you said you had 600 women show up and this is a business. This is a women's business focus. That's what you sold. Yeah, that's it's a what, business conference in church. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you sold it as that. And then you felt led to share and with, we don't not, you can share as much as you want, but you shared a story of you dealing with your own forgi unforgiveness with yes. a relationship that was real yeah. powerful to you. Anyways, you felt led to share that. And in your sharing, you said it was when you dealt with this very personal, very faith-based, very uh, vulnerable, intimate aspect of your yeah. life. When you dealt with that in a healthful way, in a, if I can say in a, in a godly way, that it released you as a person, that it was one of the best things that happened for your business. I absolutely love that because in being in business and having led people in business, so yes. often we were able to hone in on what the business issue was, the opportunity, yes. the problem, whatever, only to find, man, the, the hangup is, is your marriage. The problem's or, never the problem. Yeah, yeah. the, the hangup is personal. <laughs> and so yeah. you coming at that, well, I, and I assume that's why you've got the following you do. Well, yeah, thank you. And so that was, it was so powerful at my conference last year. So I had, I, I kind of got tricked into <laughs> having a little bit of a conference because I didn't want to, I don't enjoy public speaking at all face-to-face. -face. I love, um, I love doing television. I love doing podcasts. I love sitting on a panel. Like I am obsessed with being on panels on stage. I love that, but I don't like the clicker. I don't like the overhead thing. I don't yeah. like the traditional, it feels me like too. 1994 to me and everything in me is just throwing <clears throat> elbows. Which is so and funny so, that we, you and I know each other through Pete Vargas, who's the stage guy. So that's, I know. Uh, and I'm like, so. Pete, help me do it my way. And yeah. so we tried to do the conference, um, my way last year, we're going even fully more into my way this year, but, um, people knew that my conference was going to be held at a church and that I was, it was going to be a conference for women in business, um, who are women of faith. And so we started out with worship and that was amazing. And when, um, and I was praying, you know, weeks and months ahead of time of what my first like keynote was going to be on. I felt like God wanted me to share the story of how I had been friends with a woman for years and years. And for various reasons, we had to part ways in that friendship. And it was very painful to me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the story is relatable to um, maybe men and women. You can kind of let me know, Kevin, from a men's perspective. But um, I was like devastated over the loss of this female friendship. I hadn't really ever lost any friends as like a grown up. And I couldn't understand how two women who go to church together, who love the Lord, whose kids have been friends, whose husbands are friends, like how can we not figure this thing out? Like we, but we just, we couldn't. And the friendship needed to, you know, part ways. But even though we parted ways, I still was obsessing about this, you know, and I would like think about, okay, if I'm gonna see her out in public, like I wanna make sure I look cute. Like it was ridiculous. Yeah. And the thing is, I think people can relate to that. Most people just don't want to say that. And probably it's more of a chick thing. But um, for three years, I was really stuck in this like, 
I would wake up thinking, oh, that's right. She hates me. Um, oh, that's right. She, but she's still friends with so-and-so. And what about so like, it felt so messy and so complicated. And literally one day I was just driving to Target. And like I say in the book, like where all good things happen on the way to Target. <laughs> and I'm just in my SUV driving. And I was again, thinking about this lost friendship. And, you know, I can't believe that she, she literally like dumped me. And how could we not do this better? And, you know, what, what should I have done differently? Cause I felt a lot of guilt for my own part in the, the mess. And I literally heard, it was like God was sitting in my, the front of my suburban with me. And I literally heard the Lord say, I have got so much for you, Jennifer, if you would just let go of that. Yeah. It was like an exasperated parent who's just like, seriously, get over it. And, and literally it was almost, I, I probably even turned my head just to see if somebody literally was in the seat next to me. And it made my heart beat super fast because I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, you're so right. And, and I really had to like repent and, and give it up. And, and I did right there. And so when I was praying about, okay, Lord, what do you want me to share at the conference? And I was thinking like, is he going to you know, have me share something about Facebook ads? Or is it going to be about you know, getting a great email strategy or how to build your Instagram or whatever? And I, I had this feeling that the Lord wanted me to share that story and that there would be so many women in the audience of my business conference whose businesses were not growing because they were stuck somewhere personally, yeah. just like I had been on that friendship. And until they let go of that, everything was going to remain like, and you know that you're stuck when you feel like you're hitting up against a brick wall and you just can't seem, it's like you're doing all the right things, but nothing's really clicking. And so I talked about that, which was very, um, vulnerable because yeah. I had my own share in that mess. I was not perfect. It was a 50, 50 mess. And, um, and then I felt like I was supposed to ask the women to, um, write down on a piece of paper if they had something that they needed to leave at the altar so that they could really receive the rest of the business conference stuff. But let's just get, let's just leave at the altar right now, the stuff that God's, you know, convicting you of that you're clinging on to because he has so much better for you if you'll just let go of that. So we literally, I had one of the, you know, people that was there as an usher or security or something, bring up a trash can. It wasn't cute mm -hmm. to the front of the church. And there was no great music playing or smoke coming from the stage. It was, but we had 80% of the women who were there and we had yeah. 300 there in person and 300 watching virtually and over 80% of them, um, brought something to the front and left it at the altar. And I just, it was super powerful for me. Um, a, because I was obedient and I love seeing like, cause you just never know who or what is on the other side of your obedience. My pastor says that all the time. So I felt like I did what God asked me to do, even though it was so uncomfortable, but to see women getting free of things, man. I mean, we even had one woman who was there and was an alcoholic and we, we, I didn't know her, but even her own husband had no idea that she was an alcoholic and she got sober that day. And she just sent us an email recently. She has been sober since May 1st of last year because she left it at the altar. And I'm like, oh, yeah, God. You are listening to The Ziegler Show and my talk here with Jennifer Allwood. Next, we discuss an event that made a dramatic impact in Jennifer's business and life when a mentor asked her what she really wanted, really, really wanted from her life. And you're going to want to hear this. It's a crux of our conversation. We'll jump right back in after I share some great products and services with you. Well, so I and can't do business without that. And I have walked with enough men and women in business that I am going to, again, I'll try to be tactful here uh, yeah. as I speak. When I have experienced of women, and I'll include my wife in that, in this business perspective that we're talking about, that there is much more personal stuff that comes in and yes. sidelines them 
than for guys. And that may be uh, a worse. We're uh, we're built different. You're built different. And, 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 and and to that degree, I know a lot of guys, they would be better to be paying attention to some of that stuff uh, because they're wrecking it for the sake of their business. But so again, I I love that you get to the root issue. And and speaking of that, one of the things you start the book off is a, it's actually a, a big portion, a big focal point of my upcoming book, because I think it is a root issue and it's the, what do you want? So you were asked that by a mentor, what do you want from life? And in the book, of course, you talk about, you know, that you had just at that point wanted a degree and to get married and a job and a baby and a house, which I think is what most people just that gut reaction would respond. Okay. Those are things I want. Of course you were asked, no, what do you deep? What do you not? What do you want in life? What do you want from your life? And Mm -hmm. now you use that as an analogy and go into it. But as I was reading the book, I thought, I want to know at that time, go back to that. What did you, if you, what did you come to at that point? What did you land on in your own journey there? You said, okay, this, because it puts you back and you're like, okay, step back now. What do I want from life? What did you come to at that point? I'm going to assume it's, you know, evolved and is evolving, but at that point, what did you land? And thank you for, for understanding that it has definitely evolved. So I remember then the only thing that I knew that I wanted was financial freedom. And that's Mm. going to sound so shallow, but I really have some strong opinions about, um, you know, money and Christians and what we can do good in the world with it. And so I just knew that I wanted to be for our family to be free financially. I didn't want to have to worry about what I put in my card at target. And that may sound shallow, but, um, I just, when you've lived tight at different times, um, you know, and, and being tight does not feel good. Um, I also knew that we were super generous people. My husband, especially is the most generous man I've ever met. Um, and I knew that if we made more, we could give more, um, we could be more of a blessing to people. And, um, and so when, when she asked me that, what is it that you want? She said, the Lord told me to ask you, Jennifer, what is it you want? And I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't know. And and it, it took me a little while to figure out, okay, but I know that we want financial freedom. But even that, I had to keep digging, Kevin. Like, what does that look like, financial freedom? Yeah. And so where I'm at today, because that was probably a good five or six years ago, um, right now what it is that I want is I want freedom in both our time and our finances. Mm-hmm. Because we've gotten to a place of financial freedom. My husband's been able to be at home with me the last two years working full-time in the job. We live in you know a home that we absolutely love and is lovely and gorgeous. And we're in the process of adopting a little girl. And, you know, we have for the first time in our life, money is, is not something that I'm worried about, but like I've always said to the women that I'm coaching, if you have all the money in the world, but zero time (laughs) to do anything with it, to take people places that you want to, to, you know, to have time off, like that's not freedom to me. And the flip side of that is not freedom either. If I have all the time in the world, but no money in the bank to go do anything like that's not freedom either. And so right now, what it is that I want is we're continuing to kind of shift my business. I have seven people who work for me, seven amazing women and my husband. Um, but we're continuing to shift the business to where not so much is required of me mm-hmm. um, so that it feels lighter and it doesn't feel totally dependent upon me to give me more freedom. Just um, I'm a creative person who just like literally this is going to sound so cheesy, but I just need to sit and look out the window some days. Does that make any sense to you at all? Like we are so busy. Can I, I just, can, we, my can, we, brain, can we fist bump through the we, thing here? We, no, that, that, that's me. Um, I, I, I gotta just have space. I did a post space. on Facebook. I think it was last week that I said, apparently writing for me is, you know, check email, look at Facebook, stare out the window for 20 minutes, pace around, go to the bathroom, get something to eat, come back. 
and then take two hours to write 20 minutes of really good stuff. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me, but I think that we are like so hurried and we're so busy. I just, I want more margin. And so freedom in my time and in our finances for our family is super important. We've got our first, our oldest son, Noah is getting ready to graduate. And we've also, the little girl we're adopting is a kindergartner. So that's interesting, Kevin, let me just say that. But, um, so right now I feel like Um, It's not pressure, but I'm just very aware of the fact that we don't have a whole lot of time left before Noah leaves in the fall. And so um, we're planning on me taking off like the month of June. Awesome. I know. I'm so excited. So what is it that you want? I I want to still like maintain this level of serving my community. I want to write another book. God's told me I have three in me. Uh, The first one's coming out. I want it to do well, not because I want to point people towards me. Again, I just want to point people towards freedom, which is only going to come from God. But I, I really want our, my business to be, um, allow us maximum time and maximum money at the same time and still have maximum impact. Um, and so we're just trying to figure out what, what that looks like. What do I need to say no to? And, um, what do I need to say more? Yes. So on that note right there, so go back again to that initial, uh, leading that you were given to, to ask that question, what do you really want? And you said at that point, it was in a healthy, healthy sense was fine. So right then, what, how did that question and your subsequent answer reorient your life at that point? So I knew that in order for us to make more money, because I owned a painting company in Kansas city at that point, I had like eight women painting for me every day. And even though that business um, did well, I knew that I was like at a maximum of what I could make, Mm -hmm. um, that in order to make any more, we were going to have to like double our rates or I'd have to have double the women working for me, which sounded like double the stress. And it's not where my heart was anyway. God always used my painting business as kind of, I call it a gateway drug. (laughs) And so I was able to really, you know, uh, meet some great women that worked for me and they were able to go start painting companies and met some great clients, but I knew it was never all about that. And so I also knew that if I wanted to do something where we were going to have more financial freedom, it would really require me taking some risks that felt very vulnerable. And so it, that meant, you know, doing things I hadn't seen done in my industry. And so, um, I had this idea of, I was teaching people or I was painting, you know, here in Kansas city. And then people would, they'd send me messages all day long, Kevin, on my email, on my Facebook and Instagram. Wait, how did you just paint those cabinets? Wait, how did you just do that piece of furniture? And because I'm a sweet person, I would, you know, sit and email each of them. And then I got to the point where I'm like, oh my goodness, all I'm doing is answering questions. This is ridiculous. And I was like copying and pasting my answers. And I'm like, okay, this is absolutely ridiculous too. Why am I giving this all away for free? What if I made like painting videos and taught people how to paint in their own home? And I was like, this is probably dumb. Um, And a lot of my friends thought it was dumb because they said, you've been giving away this information for free for so many years. Like, how are you going to start? pay, you know, charging for it. And I'm like, well, I don't know, but don't crush my dreams because that's the only thing I could come up with. And then, you know, another person said, well, isn't all of this already on YouTube for free somewhere? And I'm like, well, it is, but I still, I had a hunch, a gut feeling, and I was willing just to like, you know, go ahead and have some really bad videos made. This was five, six years ago and put them out on the internet for sale to see what happened. And we made um, six figures in just a little over a year with me selling painting videos that were really crappy quality, yeah. but my heart was good, Kevin, and the, and the techniques were good. And then I knew we were onto something. And then I was like, okay, wait a second. If we just made, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in painting videos in a year, like, what could we do if I maybe, you know, um, added some more, you know, different types of videos. But then what I realized was happening is people were ask, 
actually ask me, how are you building your Facebook page? Like they got my painting videos. They bought them because my YouTube was growing. My Instagram was growing. My Pinterest was growing. And all the questions started. It's There was like two kind of questions. I was getting like technical questions on paint. And then people were saying, how the heck are you building this business online? How are you? How do you have so many followers? And I, so I, I started down the same path of, well, here's what I'm doing. And then one day again, I was like, why am I giving this all away for free? Everybody's asking me how to do this. Why don't I start charging them for it? Why don't I put them in a paid group? group with me. And so I've had a paid group for four and a half years now where I teach people what I do to grow my social media, but I don't do it for free. And so I think the long, the short answer to your question is when she asked me, what is it that you want? And I knew I wanted financial freedom. I just had to kind of start throwing some stuff at the wall, literally, and see what was going to stick. And that doesn't probably sound very strategic or intelligent, but who knows what's going to work when you've never tried anything? Do you know what I mean? And I didn't know. I knew my painting business in Kansas City worked, but I also knew my heart wasn't in it. And I also felt like God had kind of clued me into the fact that, Jen, you've got something that's going to bring financial freedom to your family if you're just willing to kind of do what I'm prompting you to do, even though you might be terrified. And it was scary. And I can tell you this, I took a lot of heat from the painting community, from my fellow like people in my industry, because they didn't like that I was teaching people how to do what was trade secrets. And, and so, you know, it wasn't like everybody was cheering me on. And those, that first year was difficult. And, you know, I and landed up in counseling and I'm not afraid to tell people about yeah. it because I wasn't I wasn't used to um, I was such a people pleaser, not used to people not being pleased with what I was doing. But I had to get over that quickly. And um, at every level in my business growth and just, you know, my growth as a person, I've had to realize that I, I can't continue people pleasing um, and put more emphasis on people pleasing than God pleasing. OK, so I'm curious I did not know about the adoption until we've just been talking here. So you've yeah. got kids, you've got a family, you've got a business yeah. that's doing well, you've got a book that's coming out. Yeah. And um, so couldn't, I'll, I'll- Couldn't be a crazier time, Kevin. Well, I was going to say, and so, and, and I'll tell you that I, I have a heart for that. I've got seven uh, biological kids and two adopted. I did um, not know that. My oldest uh, biological is 24 and our little one, I think she was kindergarten when she came to us at about three and now she's in uh, second grade, I, I think. But I wouldn't pick that as the time of your life to adopt a kid. Yeah. What's what's the leading there? Yeah. So here's here's the story. So um, we have Noah is 18, Easton 16, Ava Grace is 12. And when Ava was a baby, well, my husband kind of knew when we got married that my wife has a heart for adoption. Um it has a lot to do with my own upbringing, which I don't talk about a whole lot, just as respect to my parents. But um, but I knew adoption was going to be something that I wanted to do. And um, and so when Ava was a baby, we decided to start getting some information. And we you know first checked with uh, adopting internationally because we knew some people who had done that. And yeah. China was on like a five-year wait. And I was like, good Lord, I'll be 800 years old yeah. by the time that happens. So let's not do that. And um, so we ended up signing up with two different um, agencies in the Kansas City area. They're national agencies um, to try to adopt a newborn. And, you know, I was very naive, Kevin. And I, I thought, well, you know, we're a nice family. Surely somebody will pick us. I've got a great portfolio book. And we waited for two years. And at wow. the end of the, and, and, you know, after about two years is when I had this aha moment. Okay. All the birth moms are looking at our portfolio and they're seeing a family with you know, children who all look the same and they're three biological children. Then they're looking at portfolios from families who don't have any kids yet. And they were always picking the families with no children. And I was like, 
duh, I would do the same thing. Yeah. Like, I don't know why we didn't think of that. So then we thought, well, let's switch over to trying to adopt out of the foster care system. Mm. And um, and so we did that. We took all the classes, gave up all of our Tuesday nights for two months while my parents babysat the three kids and, and got on a list to adopt out of the foster care system only to finally figure out, wow, not a lot of children they want you to foster. There's not a lot of children who are in the foster care system, at least not in Kansas City where we live, who actually come up for adoption in that couple of years, two or three only. And, and I remember thinking, okay, we're not getting any younger. We've been waiting for four years. Lord, I don't think that this story is done, but I'm also really tired of re-fingerprinting every year, re, re-upping our portfolio every year, you know, the home study every year, my kids being, we're just, we were exhausted. And so we tapped out after four years of waiting. And I always said, I don't think that this story is over. And so, and that was probably five, six years ago at this point. And I can still remember in the last five or six years, there'd be different times I would tuck in, you know, all three kids. And then I would have this feeling there's a fourth. <laughs> and I would tell my husband that thing just happened again. Like I knew in my knower, I have another child out there somewhere. I just, I, I've told people God's going to have to be really creative. And um, creativity came in the way of a phone call. Um, it'll be two years in August that we got a phone call from a woman who um, was a great grandmother to a little girl named Ari. She was four at the time. And She's actually related to me. She is my cousin's granddaughter, the little girl we're raising. So the two great grandmas, if you can follow the story, the great grandma on one side is my aunt and the great grandmother on the other side was raising her and they got together and they're like, somebody has to raise this little girl. They are, you know, both aging and they can't keep up with a very spunky Mm four-year-old. And so she called me and she said, would you be willing to raise her. And I was like, well, she has parents. Like, no, we can't just like raise, you know, what does this even look like? And we finally somehow agreed to like one play date. And then we thought, good grief, what are we thinking? We are 47 years old. We've got a child who's, you know, getting college applications. Like, this is ridiculous, Lord. Is this really what you, you know, you've got in mind? And we, we thought, well, we'll do one play date with her. And that led into, well, now, One of the things that we have as a resource now that we never did before is we could like offer to pay for her preschool and we could go pick her up and take her to preschool and and think about this thing because it doesn't seem like, you know, the great time of our life when we're in the middle of a huge home remodel. We just moved into this house. I've got a book coming out like it seemed like the wrong timing. And so we decided, well, we'll take her to preschool her first day, Kevin. This is how God works. And we thought, what if she just stays the night? Like, what if we take her to dinner? We'll take her to Target and get her a glittery backpack. She'll stay the night. We'll take her to preschool. And we did all of that. And we never took her home. And that has been 18 months ago. And so we are knee deep in officially adopting her. Both her parents um, have, you know, signed the paperwork to have us adopt her. And so, yeah, we have a kindergartner and a senior. And I can tell you, life has never been crazier. And it's also never been righter. Yeah. And it's the hardest thing we've ever done. It's also the rightest thing we've ever done. And I um, I know you got an advanced copy of the book, so it doesn't have um, – I'm sitting here thinking, do I want to read it? I probably don't want to read it. I thank you know all of my kids in the book, and I thank Ari, and I'm going to try really hard not to cry, but I basically said she kind of saved our family, but we didn't even know we needed saving. It was yeah. the weirdest thing. So yeah. it makes me really emotional. I'm sorry, but – so yeah, we have four kids and we're going to be a million years old when she graduates high school. Yeah. And yet I'm mm. like, God answered my prayers in such a way that is so different than what I thought he would. And I'm so grateful. You know, the show's not about me, so I won't tell our story, but you would appreciate it. It was my wife's leading. She was woken in the middle of the night by the Lord and 
years later, we have little Jay Daria and same uh, thing where we thought yeah. this is what we're going to do for her. And now we can't imagine our family yes. as we see the richest and we think, no, we, we got the better end of the deal. Yeah. Um, and then I'll, people will say to us, oh, she's so lucky to have you. And I will say, oh my uh, gosh, we're so lucky to have her. Yeah. I mean, we thought we were doing such a great grand, you know, Christ-like thing in adopting her. And she has just blessed us um, so much. And I'm really, I'm grateful to her biological parents that they knew that they were in not a good position to raise her. Yeah. And they, um, they trust us enough with that responsibility forever. So congratulations. Thank you. And I'd love to hear your story someday. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I just literally cried on the Zig Ziglar show. <laughs> oh, that's the money right there, man. I'm going to get more downloads. That's, oh, that's... it makes me so emotional to talk about it because, you know, we think God, we think life is going to look one way, Kevin. Yeah. I think that's like part of my story is I really thought like, what is it that you want? I always knew I wanted a child that I adopted. I knew that in my knower. I spent a lot of time growing up with my grandparents and, you know, they were like parents to me in a lot of ways. And I knew that I wanted um, to give back the gift that I had been given to yeah. somebody else. And so it's such a full circle thing for me. Well, let's stay on the nonsensical leadings perspective here yeah. as, as we're talking about that, because that's a big part of your story. And yeah. this is you going on. Yeah, the, we, we could do a three hour show here. Uh, you, know, you talk so much about uh, overwhelmingness and, and dealing with that. And of course, you're speaking a lot to, to women. I, guys can relate, but I'm going to stay on that. And you said uh, the statement was when you're overwhelmed, when you're fearful that and you said it to women, women will choose safe. So I'm going to I'm going to go from that to you chose to go after a degree in computers because uh -huh. you thought that yeah. was safe. That's what will be responsible. Yeah. You spent five years. I know I'm boiling it down really fast. Yeah. You spent no. five years going with your memory, <laughs> uh, going, going nights and weekends yes. to get a degree. So you're working a full-time job. You go there to get a degree in computers. And I believe it was a month before your graduation. Yep. You decide as you're still, you've always loved this house, uh, you know, decor yeah. and design and yeah. painting. You've loved that. You decide, decide to start a side business and it made no sense. It made no sense. And I, you know, and, and, and to you talking about, and I know this from you from as much as I've read in the book and, yeah. and, and getting to understand you that it's not about you being this risk. This is not this. I want people to hear this is the spirit of the book. We'll go get the book, but is not to, uh, that you're just this, you know, risk taker, supernatural, no. superhuman person. You're no. looking at it and go, man, this is the dumbest thing ever. Yes. I'm completely but, the opposite. Yeah. I talk in my book about, um, I nicknamed something called an SRP, which is a super responsible person. Right. So I left home early. I left home at 17, um, bought my first house at 21. Um, always just really responsible kind of, you know, it had to be way mature before my age. Um, and, you know, which has both served me and, you know, I've had to work through a lot of right. pain over that. But um, as a super responsible person, you're not a risk taker. You get a job where you go to nine to five. And I talk in the book how I had a pager and I wore the pantyhose and everybody was like, oh, my gosh, you've got such an amazing job. And I was literally dying on the inside. Wow. I hated every second of it. And the only reason that I picked a computer degree over interior design is because I didn't think I could make any money at um, interior design. I didn't personally know anybody that had an interior designer. 
I didn't, you know, and if you, if you, if you haven't actually seen it, it's hard to like wrap your head around it. And HGTV was just like starting out and kind of becoming a thing. And so I was like, I want to pick safe all the, all the way I need to pick safe. And I talk about in the book that women who have been wounded deeply, they will almost always pick safe because at least like, even if the safe familiar thing is not the best for them, it's, it's at least what they know when you have been wounded and hurt and traumatized deeply, you will always move, I think, towards safe because who on earth wants to like choose something where you have the opportunity to possibly be traumatized again. And so I chose what I thought was the safest thing and a sure bet, which was computers. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and the whole thing is, Kevin, I hated them. I still, I, I still, thank God my husband is, he's, we joke that he's my IT guy and my CFO. Um, I mean, I love social media, but I still don't like computers. And, but I, I chose safe. And, um, and God let me do it because he's a God who lets us choose a whole lot of things. Even though I had that like thing in the pit of my stomach where I was like, oh, this is not what I want to do, but I'm still going to pick computers. And it's so interesting to me how God's like, okay, you pick computers. I let you go ahead and get the degree right before graduation. You decide you want to start a painting company. So I was doing the computer thing by day and I was messing around with this painting at night and it was a lot of fun. I was like, I was like, okay, I'm making money by day. And at home I'm at like Googling because Google was a new thing, you know, um, back then. And I'm Googling like how to make your walls look like crackle. And I was watching on HGTV. There was some shows like trading spaces. If you read the book and a lot of the women are going to remember this. There was like this crazy designer named Hildy, God bless her. But she like stapled fake flowers to walls and straw to walls. And I just thought it was obnoxious, but I was obsessed. And since I bought a home at such an early age, you know, I redid a lot of my house by myself. And so this painting thing, it was fun to mess around with on the nights and the weekends. But then I got laid off from my computer job. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. At the time, I boohooed for days and I thought, I can't believe they didn't want me, you know, and and started sending out applications to other computer jobs that I knew I would hate, but super responsible people, they they have 401ks and they have the matches and they have paid days off. And um, and then I just on a whim, I said, I wonder if while I'm like waiting for this next computer job, if I could just try to make some money at the painting thing. And, you know, and then I got hooked up with a couple designers. And I'm like, hmm. Okay. And it was just the favor of the Lord. A couple of the houses I did right off the bat were million dollar plus homes. And that was 20 years ago. And, um, and I was like, this is kind of crazy. I'm seeing a little favor in this area. I wonder if I, you know, could I actually make some substantial money? Like what would happen if I really kind of pressed on the gas and, 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 you know, tried to see if this could actually be a business. And, um, and I got, you know, a couple more jobs and then I got an offer from what was a fancy schmancy, um, company called Cerner here in Kansas city. And and they were very well known, still are. It was a great offer. Um, and I just thank God for the man that I married because I went to him, Kevin, and said, I I really don't want to do this. I really want to stick with the painting thing. And thank you, Lord. And he wasn't even a believer at the time that he was like, you know what, Jen, go for it then. And I was like, Oh my gosh, if, if you're a woman listening to me right now and you have a supportive spouse of something that you're dreaming about and you feel like God's given you the nudge, like you can't lose. Hmm. Like you just, you, when you, when you have God and your husband who are like, go girl, go, you literally cannot lose. And so, um, so yeah, that was 20 years ago. And so God still worked me into what I was supposed to be doing, even though like, it's not like it was punishment, but I went through five years of night school and I didn't have to, Kevin. <laughs> I could have had all those nights and weekends to myself, but in my own knuckleheadedness, you know, I did it and nobody can take the degree away from me and I'll have that forever. But um, yeah, he worked me still back into what I was supposed to be doing. And I talk about that in one of the chapters in the book, like so many women are stuck. 
because they're so afraid they're going to make the wrong decision that they make zero decision, which yeah. is essentially saying, God, you're not big enough to fix a mess if I happen to be going down the wrong way. And I think that the God I serve, he can fully put the brakes on something, back me up and, and redirect me where needed. And so, you know, I just think that it's so much easier. I would have to think for God to work with a woman in movement who's doing something than a woman who's like just completely paralyzed and stuck. So you mentioned the degree and not that we have to go down that tangent of a, of a perspective on college, but yeah, you got the degree in something you didn't mm-hmm. pursue. Now you're successful in something you don't have a degree. Do you wish you had gone back and Never. you could have, okay, well, as I say, cause you could have taken that interior design no. degree, but you're gonna, now you're you don't gonna need about it. to get me on my, you're about to get me on a soapbox. So, but I think it's just, I'm hypersensitive to it because we yeah. have a son getting ready to go to college. Yeah. But um, right now I, you know, I coach all these women in a paid group and then I launch a course once a year on how to make money seven different ways online. We launch it every year. We've had thousands of people go through it. It's a thousand dollar plus course. It's great. And there are so many ways of getting educated without going to sit in a classroom. Um, I call it yoga pant education (laughs) because you can like learn from anywhere. And, you know, so Noah, our oldest son, um, a couple months ago, he was not planning on going to college. He's watched his mom build this business and dad be able to come home from corporate America and, you know, burn the ties. And um, both of my boys, they're 16 and 18, um, I don't know if I talk about this in the book or not, but they're what we call sneakerheads. Do you know what that is? You've got okay. So they they love tennis shoes, uh. and you wouldn't think, Kevin, that this is a thing. This is a legit business. People flipping sneakers, and they're flipping them online. And my boys have watched me for years on Instagram, and so they've started a little Instagram account, and um, where they are flipping tennis shoes, mostly Nikes. So they'll po- <laughs> they'll. I, it's the craziest thing. But you know what? The other day they made six hundred dollars on one pair of shoes. $600 for a 16 and 18 year old boy. And they had to split it. And of course they know now they got to pay taxes because uh-huh. we got to do things legit, but they are doing well, hustling their little sneaker flipping business. And I'm so proud of them. And so two or three months ago, Noah really did not like the idea of college yeah. and he wanted to go into real estate. And I was like, yes, son, go into real estate because mom wants to buy a bunch of rental properties and flip uh-huh. properties. Anyway, this will be great. And, um, and so he was like, and I just want to sell real estate and I'll keep flipping shoes. And we were like, that's fine because college is not what it used to be. And I don't want our kids going to college just because it's like the thing that they think that they need to do and walking out with a ton of debt and then end up going in a completely different direction anyway. And so, um, a couple months ago, Noah was like, I'm not doing that. And I was like, excellent. And then he came to us a couple months ago and was like, I've changed my mind. And now I got accepted into a college and I want to go. And so here we are, Kevin. Uh-huh. Apparently, he's going to college in August. So, <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I feel like my job at this point, and you probably would be better at giving me advice on this than what I am, but I feel like right now my job at this point is just to encourage him and let him kind of make some of his own decisions mm-hmm. and um, give my opinion when it's asked. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, but <laughs> it needs to be, you know, mm-hmm. I want him to. I want him to ask God what he's supposed to do. I don't know that that's really where he's at, but my prayer is that God will continue kind of just knocking on his heart and that he'll find his own way. So, yeah, I, I I feel you. My kids know nothing but self-employment. My dad teaches self-employment and they felt pressure to, and I said, guys, do what you want. I had one do a little college and decide that wasn't for him. I have one. She loves it and she's going towards a psychology degree and it fits that another one who's playing with it. But she said, dad, I just kind of want to experience the social part of it. 
but she's an entrepreneur. She's already down that road. And I, and I think Noah is an entrepreneur too. I mean, every yeah. winter we in Kansas city, my boys have like, they each run a crew of snowblowers. I'm Sweet. like, well, and you know, so I, I, I will see, we'll just see. I'm just, yeah. I love that. I get like this front row seat to their life <laughs> and I'm so excited for him. I mean, yeah. I'm excited. I'm, I'm wondering now, I, I think I've got a, I think I would guess 1990 pair of Chuck Taylor all-stars at high tops. I'm wondering what are those babies worth? You have no idea. That's Some of these so funny. people are very serious about their sneakers. All and right, well, so it's, it's a crazy world. There's so. an opportunity for somebody. Okay. So in this, as you're talking about <laughs> your story, your trajectory from uh, adoption to going after a painting business to all these things. Uh, maybe one of the most important messages to me or what resonated to me or uh, that I just had such great appreciation for was you talking about confidence. I knew you were going to bring that up. Of course, <laughs> because that's what people are going to hear to go. And you got the question. So I'm going to put the question that everybody asks you out there. This is a, how, how are you this type of person who has so much confidence to go after these things? So go. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, the thing with confidence is this. I think it's really marketable. I think it's very sellable. This is why there's so many books yeah. um, that are even, you know, bestsellers and there's so many programs that are popular and you can, you know, people are trying to sell you confidence. But the thing is like, you can't buy confidence. You can't manifest it. You can't pray your way into it. Confidence comes from doing things that you're scared to do and being like, oh, okay, I actually did that. I made it. I didn't die. It didn't kill me. And then you do it again and you're like, okay, I'm still here. Okay. And, and you mm -hmm. keep down a path. That's how you get confident about something. And so, but people think that when they get confident is when they're going to do, you know, sign up for their first dancing class or their first half marathon or um, apply for a job that they really want or yeah. start their own business. They're waiting for confidence. And I don't know that confidence always comes. And so I talk in the book about, um, um, God really had to demonstrate this for me. Um, I felt like I was supposed to sign up and I won't camp here on this story long, but for a triathlon for my 40th birthday. Yeah. And I didn't know how to swim. And I was like, this presents a major problem, Lord. I mean, <laughs> yeah. what on earth? And it wasn't like I heard a, thus saith the Lord, you need to do a triathlon. But I just, it was one of those things, like I just kept thinking about it. Hmm. And I just kept thinking, well, if that lady was 70 some years old and just did a triathlon, like I should be able to do a triathlon. But then I kept going back to, well, you can't swim. And so I ended up hiring a swim instructor, getting um, lessons for a year, just like a child would, yeah. um, crying in a swimming pool, holding another grown woman's hands while I tried to learn how to bob underwater. I mean, I'm not at all exaggerating, Kevin. I was like, I, I joke that I come from a long line of like sinkers. And, um, <laughs> and so I ended up doing the triathlon for my 40th birthday. The Today Show um, had somebody come out and do a segment. I was literally on spandex on morning television awesome. on, you know, the Today Show. Horrible. Um, but um, I had a panic attack in the water. And so it was a 500 meter through a lake. It had to like, you know, there's some 20 year old woman or male, I can't even remember now, who's, you know, got one of the buoy things that they yeah. save people with. And I had to rest and they're like, ma'am, are you going to be okay? And I literally like, I wanted to punch them. I was like, yes, I'm going to be okay. But I was literally having a panic attack in the water and I finished the race and it was crazy enough to think, okay, let me do another one. Did another one. Also had a panic attack in the water. Did wow. another one. I've done 10 of them and I've had a panic attack in the water every single time. Wow. And so I talk about in the book how I am confident now that I'm not going to die when I do a triathlon, but I am not a confident swimmer. I'm not a good swimmer. And so, but I am a courageous person. And I think that there's a huge difference between courage and confidence. And so many people are waiting and hoping for confidence. And when you really need just a little bit of courage, because doing the thing that you're scared to do, 
will actually then result sometimes in confidence, sometimes not. But courage is the thing that I think that yeah. we need to be looking for and asking God for and not confidence. It's like, you know, Ari, our little one that we're adopting, you know, she, when she came to us, she was four years old, still sucked on a pacifier. I never didn't know how to use utensils. Um, and so she had so much to learn. And we started her in kindergarten a year later. And I can remember, you know, taking her to the school bus that first day and me just like, just wanting to die on the inside thinking, how is she going to do this? And I never once looked at her and said, Ari, be confident, be confident. How could mm. I do that? She's never been to kindergarten. How could she be confident on yeah. anything she's never done? I wasn't confident going into writing a book. I've never wrote a book before. The first time you did a podcast episode, you weren't confident. But you did have some courage to just go ahead and do it and then look back and go, okay, that wasn't as bad as I thought. And then you do it again and then you do it again. And hopefully confidence comes. But even if it doesn't, in the case of me swimming, um, I still keep showing up. And I think so many people's lives are on hold and they're stuck and in a place where they, they want to do something, but they're waiting until their feelings of confidence are in place. And the truth is your feelings will lie to you. Our feelings are liars. Kevin, my feelings right now, I'm going to be so excited when I get off of this podcast that I'm going to want to walk to my kitchen, you know, right now and, and get out raw chocolate chip cookie dough. That's my drug of choice <laughs> and sit there and eat it with a spoon. That's what my, that's what I'm going to feel like doing. But if, yeah. so if I listen to my feelings, I would be going down a wrong path all the time. So, you know, the world right now is telling you to do what feels good. No, don't do what feels good. Do what you're supposed to do. Coming from a place of like obedience and courage instead of waiting until you feel confident about it. It's two, two totally different messages. But people are selling you confidence all day long because it sells. Nobody like, you know, you hear courage and you think John Wayne. <laughs> you don't think, you know, almost 50-year-old woman. But, um, but I hope that when women read my book, they will realize if they're waiting for confidence, they could be waiting a long time. They just need a little bit of courage. Well, and this is, this is why it stuck out to me. I I'll never forget being a kid, being a boy, being the boy that wants to be brave and, uh, you know, the giant killer and, uh, I, I say cliff diving. It was probably 10 feet. I have no idea. I was a little kid, but coming up to the edge of that and coming up and not being comfortable and backing off and going, but I'm not the kind, I can't back off. I was too shameful. And so I went up and I finally just jumped. And I came back and did it again and said, I'm still not comfortable. This is like kamikaze. I, there's no way I can be. And that's what I thought. I, I, there's no way to be confident, but yes. courageous. Now I jumped off once and realized I'm not going to die. Like you said, you know, you yes. did the triathlon, but that aspect of confidence, you can't have it. That, that's what I feel like you said that I've never yes. heard it. I don't, I you feel can't like I've be never confident with something you've never, you've done never before. done. You have to earn it. Well, that, that yeah. is, that is counterintuitive to the self-help it's counter, industry. It's counterculture. It's counter. Well, but in this industry of self-help, self-improvement, I have not heard it put that way. The first time I launched my course, it was with fear and trepidation. Like, is anybody going to sign up for it? Like, what if they all hate it? What if they hate me? What if I can't deliver? Like, I don't feel like I'm an overly confident person, if that makes sense. I mean, I also, but, but here's the thing. It's because I know like who goes before me. And I know that sounds cheesy, but like it, God doesn't require me to be confident. That's not part of the thing. And I think there are so many people who they feel like God's nudging them to do something and they're waiting until they feel up to it. But God wouldn't have even asked if he didn't think you were the girl for the job. I mean, 
it's a good thing that confidence is not a requirement to most things that we have to do on this side of heaven. And so, but a lot of people are stuck in the waiting zone thinking, okay, I'm just going to, as soon as I feel confident, as soon as I feel confident, as soon as I feel confident, then I'll start the ministry, start the Bible study, write the book, start the business, do the podcast, whatever. And you could be waiting forever. Mm-hmm. And I talk in the book about how, you know, as Christians, Jeremiah 29, 11 is a scripture we all want to like hang on to, you know, because it's, um, I know the plans that I have for you says the Lord plans um, to prosper you and to give you a future. And we all love the like, oh, Lord's going to prosper me and give me a future. But we forget the first part of that, which is God saying, I have a plan for you. And every plan that I, and I feel like this is a word of the Lord for somebody, Kevin, because I feel this pretty strongly and the hairs of my arms are standing up. That's always a good sign. Okay. So when, the, when you're talking about plans, like your wife planned your wedding and there was a date attached to that. You planned on having a baby and you knew what the due date was. There's dates attached to that. When you plan a vacation, there's dates attached to that. So the Lord says, I, I know the plans I have for you. And I think that sometimes we sit here on this side of heaven, twiddling our thumbs and we're waiting on confidence, waiting on confidence. And there is a plan that God has, but tick tock, sis. I mean, you can't just keep waiting until you feel confident because time is of essence. And I, I talk in the book about Noah, we're talking about our oldest again. And I promise you, I love the middle two exactly as much, but a while back I asked Noah to mop the floor and he's 18 and he looked at me and I promise you, Kevin, I, I, I couldn't even believe it, but he's like, mop. He's like, I've never mopped the floor. I mean, he swept the floor a million times. He's never actually run a mop. And then I'm like, oh, I have failed you as a mother, you know, but I'm like, well, it's not that hard. And if you can figure out everything else on, you know, TikTok or YouTube or whatever, you can figure out mopping. And he's like, but I don't know how to do it. And I'm like, you'll do fine. And then, you know, a few minutes later, I'm like, Noah, mop the floor. And he's like, mom, I don't even know what you want me to do. I want you to mop the floor. And, and we go back and forth. And then it became not even about him, like, necessarily even doing a good job. I just wanted him to mop the floor out of obedience Yeah, because I'm his mom and there's things that our family has to do today. And I have a plan and I'd like for you to just be part of team Allwood here. And would you please just mop the floor? And I had this, Oh my gosh, is that how the Lord thinks about us? Hmm. When he asks us to do something, he doesn't care that we don't know how to do it. He doesn't care that we've never done it before. He's got a plan. We're part of team God. I mean, I, and I, sometimes I wonder if he's up there going, I know the plans I have for you and co- come on, girl, like you don't need to wait for confidence. I've given you everything you need. Noah had every tool he needed. He had the mop, he had the floor, he had a phone in his hand. He could have Googled it. You know, and so God's not gonna ask you to do something. Even if you don't feel ready, he's not gonna ask you to do something and then not equip you for it. That's why the name of my conference, by the way, every year is called Equipped. Because we're already equipped. He's already given us exactly what we need to do on this side of heaven, what he's asking us to do. Our job is to be obedient and walk it out regardless of if we feel confident or not. That right there, God doesn't need you to be confident. That's worth the price of admission for everybody who didn't pay for this podcast. But if you did, that right there, (laughs) I, I, I just, I love that. And you talk again about courage but then the, you're also talking about God. I mean, this is, this is faith. This, this is faith. Do I have faith? And I found myself through time, hopefully as I've matured a little bit asking, what is the worst, worst that's going to happen? If I do this yeah. thing, I'm not confident. I have courage. I have faith. In, what's the, and it's generally not that Zig Ziglar is well known for the quote. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly until you can learn to do it. Well, mm. we, we've got to start and you do such a great job of connecting that. I feel like, well, you're experiencing it. The book's new to me. Well, the book's going to be new to to a lot of people, but you've been, you know, you've been sharing this message, this perspective. That's why you have the followers that you do because yeah, we're all sitting there in fear, which of course that's the name of the book. Mm -hmm. Fear is not your boss. We're sitting there waiting for 
X and yes, you're saying yeah. we, we can't wait, we, there's no way you can have X until there's no you way start. You can have X. Yeah. And so, you know, I, like I, and I, so I think like, I pray that my kids are courageous and, um, it's like when they each learned how to walk, mm. like how would they ever be confident about mm. walking? You know what I mean? And as their parent, if, you know, I'm like, come on, come on, Easton. I'll talk about my second kiddo. So he doesn't feel left out. Come on, you can do it. And Easton falls over on his, you know, trying to take his first couple of steps. It's not like as his mother, I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. How could you, you idiot? How could you not walk? You know, I mean, that's not the type of God that we serve. He doesn't expect us to be confident or to get it perfect or to get it right, I don't think. But he does expect us to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's just such a huge difference between confidence and um, and courage. I actually named that chapter um, in Fear is Not the Boss of You. I named it Confidence is a Crock of Crap. And they made me like simmer it down. Really? <laughs> yeah. I like but, that. They're like, Jen, you probably need to simmer down. But I feel really passionate about it because, you know, I have of the 2000 entrepreneurs that I have the honor of coaching every month, I over and over, they're stuck somewhere. And I'm, and when I dig to, okay, what, what is, why are you stuck? It always comes back to their waiting till they feel confident. And I'm like, girl, you're never gonna, you've never done it before. How are, how on earth do you expect to feel confident about something you've never done before? So anyway, well, so uh, again, the, you know, starting off this, the book with, with what do you want? I am a fan and I gravitate towards what I'm going to call root cause issue messages, which is why you're here on the show. Another thing that you say in here that caught my attention, I don't know if it was, if you intended it to be uh, as big a deal as it is to me, but you said it's actually in chapter four. I don't know if it's the heading or whatever. These are just my notes, but you made a statement there. Uh, there are so many things conspiring against you. And that may be a dot, dot, dot. I don't know if that was the end of the sentence or what, but I just grabbed that because uh, it is, we hear so much in the faith-based world and outside of that as well, as well. You know, the universe is conspiring yeah. for your good and, you know, God has the path for good. Everything's this good thing. And yet, well, that's why I pulled that out. There are so many things conspiring against you. That is not the common vernacular that we hear in faith-based or secular. It's always everything's conspiring against you. Well, biblically, I don't necessarily believe that God has a plan for me, but he gave dominion to someone else. And there's a battle going on, I believe. Yes. And so for you to say that it caught my attention and I'll just ask why you, or I'll just pull attention to to that and speak to that. Cause again, I feel like a lot of people are sitting here thinking I should be, yeah, here, I'll pull there too. I know well, that you're never supposed to think is if it's God, it will come easy. <clears throat> exactly. Or, Thank you. Yes. yes. That, that they, I won't get any resistance. And in actually in one of the last chapters of the book, I talk about, okay, if you're ready, like to get unstuck and you're ready to, you know, stop being so overwhelmed and you're going to do the things that scare you, yep. here's what you can expect. And it's all hex about to break loose. And I think because we forget that just because we say yes to the things that God's asking us to do, it does not mean that it's going to come easy. And it does not mean that the enemy or soul is not going to have, you know, a fit. And, and so and we have to remember it's because there's such a bigger picture at play. See, when a woman like does things, if she gets unstuck and let's say that we've got a woman listening right now who really wants to go back to college. Uh -huh. And so 
Um, her not going back to college for the last decade that she's been thinking about it. She's been thinking about it. She's been thinking about it. She's been thinking about, well, if she goes back to college, that could lead to a better paying job. That better paying job could lead to some financial freedom to her family. Some financial freedom to her family could lead to them not living so tight and them blessing other people. Like it, it doesn't have to ever do with just the only thing that you think it has to do with. And that's why the enemy wants to keep us so bound up. And so stuck and so tight because um, I know, for instance, like when I ran my painting company, I knew that it had so little to do for painting or with painting. I had a lot of women who worked for me um, who were in bad marriages, um, who needed the extra money. And it was like once they realized they had a talent and a gift, they were able to like go start their own painting company, Mm -hmm. get out of those bad relationships, get their family out of some financial stress. Like if the enemy can keep you so tight and so small, then you have, you don't have a whole lot of positive effect on all the people around you. And so that's why I think the enemy comes in so strongly when we try to break out of the box and we try to launch a thing and we try to do our first race, but then we sprain an ankle on the first training. Like resistance is a real thing. And I think people think, okay, if I just say yes to God, well, then it's just going to be all unicorns and rainbows and lucky charms. And that would be fantastic if that was the case. But the truth is we said yes to a very hurt little girl and it was not rainbows and unicorns and lucky charms, which is part of the reason why, you know, I started crying on your show. It was a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of doctor's appointments. And she had to have seven teeth pulled right off the bat. I mean, there's always going to be stuff that happens right off the bat to make you think, oh my goodness, was that really God? Am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this really what God wants for me? Did I hear him right? Am I a knucklehead? Because as soon as you kind of start making any progress, you're instantly going to be usually hit with something that's going to make you want to retreat. That's that's what what it looks like for adults. But I think it looks different for kids, Kevin. And I think you and I could talk all day long about this. This is why I feel like there's such an assault on our children. Because the enemy knows if he can... If he can mess with our kids, this is why the teen suicide rate is, you know, through the wazoo. This is why addiction is so strong. Because if the enemy can get our kids young, then he doesn't have to worry about them being free adults. Maybe there's your next book. Yeah, that that's big. Again, on what you said, just tracking there though, I, Mm -hmm. you know, we want to, it's, it's a great message. Kind of like you said, it's great to say, it's easy to sell confidence. You can make money doing that. Um, You can also sell that the universe, God, whatever is conspiring for your good. Because on the other side, it sounds pessimistic and that's not self-help really. It's there's, there's conspiracy against me and it's not going there. I just like being ready for the battle so that to come back to what you ended with there, when that obstacle comes up, we expect it go, ha, I was expecting that. And I'm going to overcome it as opposed to, wait, did I hear from, cause I did it. I did it, Jennifer. I mean, I did that thing of in, in ventures where I felt God gave a vision. I felt courage even. And yet yeah. something came up and I'm thinking, man, I must've heard God. Yeah, yeah. I must've heard wrong. Yeah. You're talking about guts. Um, as another perspective on this. It also was, not a real sexy word. I know. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. You know, it, it's an aspect of of courage. It reminded me of one of my favorite, uh, things that we've talked about as a family after we watched the movie, uh, we bought a zoo, uh, where okay. he says the guy in there, which is, uh, what's the actor's name? Uh, it's the Jason Bourne guy. You can tell, Oh, I know uh, who you're talking about. He also played Hawkeye. No, no, no. The, Avengers, that, or the other Jason Bourne guy. This oh, guy, Matt Damon. That, Matt, Matt Damon. Thank you. Okay. He's the guy, his character's Benjamin me. And he says, and he's talking to his kids and I, my kids and I talked about it. He says, you know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, just literally 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery. And I promise you something great will come of it. Yeah. I, I felt the embodiment of that 
in yeah. your book. And there's, yeah, we've probably gotten through 10% of some of the issues I had to talk about. So uh, folks, again, you know, buy the book, you're not going to get the whole thing here, but I do want to at least end on the very real reality that you speak to as a thread throughout this. Uh, and I want people to hear this, that you do such a great job. I feel like a very wise, uh, job of addressing our self-sabotaging because again, in my own work in helping people, and I have a, a, a past in walking with people who wanted to pursue self-employment and business. And yeah. I found that not only in them, but that's, that was my primary thing is my primary hang up handicapped. The thing that kept me stuck going to your topic was my own self-sabotaging that I was so unaware of. If there's a yeah. gift I could give to everybody, it would be to have the, you know, the, the, the re revelation of what they're doing that they have no idea about of self-sabotaging yes. and you do such a good job. I feel like it's a thread through every chapter yeah of revealing of revelations of the way and, I, and you do that specifically towards women. I think again, guys, you're going to get a lot out of this too. Actually, I would tell guys read the thing. So you understand your whys as well. Oh, what they're dealing that's good. With. <laughs> that's really good. Well, yeah. I'll be saying that a lot, but just to hit on that, would, would you hit on that aspect of self sabotaging and the mm -hmm. very, you talk about a conspiracy against ourselves. Yeah. It's pretty much often ourselves Yeah. and uncovering I, yeah. that. I, so I would never have, thought that I was somebody who self-sabotaged like mm -hmm. that just, I'm like, that's not me. That's me neither me. until I had and, the face that I was. Yeah. But, yeah. And so, um, but I think that we have levels in our minds, maybe consciously or unconsciously that like are comfortable to us. Like, um, you know, certain levels of success that are comfortable to us. And so like I talk in the book about how, um, I released like a, a course a couple of years ago and I was praying to get like 200 people in this course and it was $77 or something. And I was like, I hope I get 200 people. And so, um, you know, we hit a hundred people. I was like, we're halfway there. We hit 200 people. I'm like, Oh my gosh, we met our goal. 300. I'm like, what on earth is happening here? And at 400 people, I started to cry and not like, um, like, a, Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful. Cry. But, uh, what is happening right now? I am there is no way that I can handle a class with 400 people. Who do I think I am? Like, this is ridiculous. I can't, I, I'm the total imposter syndrome coming in. Yeah. And I didn't self-sabotage, um, although I wanted to. I sucked my thumb in a corner for a hot minute because I, I was literally like going to like turn off the, the sales thing on it and not take any more people because apparently I was really comfortable with making X amount of dollars and then even a little bit more than that. But when I doubled what I thought that I was worthy of, all of a sudden I went into this really weird place mentally and I was like, no, 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 no. I'm completely an imposter. I can't do this. And, and I, you know, so that was like an example I use in the book. I also use an example of like my friend Carrie, and this was a business example too, that she was doing really well using Facebook ads to build her business. And I remember I was like, Carrie, your page is growing so great. Like she got up to like, you know, 18,000 followers and 19,000 followers and 20,000 followers. And I was like, congratulations, like your ad is doing so well. And she was like, I hit 20,000 and I turned my Facebook ad off. And I'm like, why would you do that? And she was like, I don't know. I just, I freaked out. And that's what self-sabotage looks like. When you have that little freak out, when all of a sudden you're like, okay, things are going so good. I don't feel like I'm either worthy of it or sometimes we get so used to things feeling bad. And this is hard for some people to wrap their head around. It's, um, we get so used to things feeling bad that when they feel good, it feels so out of the norm for us yeah. that we, and again, we'll go back to what was familiar. Cause at least we know that comfortable, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I, I know like we can all think of people in our life who are, you know, 
have a ton of drama, like are just surrounded by drama. And I, I can think of a girl every time I, you know, talk to her, just so much drama in her world. And I said to my husband one time, I don't think she would know what to do with peace Hmm. because I think the only thing she knows is, is drama. And I think that when I've seen her like kind of almost like have an opportunity to have some peace in her life before, I also watch her self-sabotage and go right back to chaos. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's so, um, it's like wearing your left shoe on your right foot. You just, you know, it it works, but it's so uncomfortable that you just, you got to get it off. And so that I think is a lot of times what self-sabotage looks like. And in my Mm -hmm. industry where I'm teaching a lot of people in business, um, they will often self-sabotage in business for Mm -hmm. things that are unrelated to business, but it always comes back to usually, do they feel worthy? Do they feel deserving? Um, Do they feel like an imposter? Uh, Those are always some of the root causes of of self-sabotaging. Yeah. Yep. That was, that was me. Uh, That is me. I'm recovering. uh, I'm always dealing with the imposter syndrome. I did that with money. Anytime I'd start to make money, I'd sabotage it because of my unknown hangups there. Uh, Yeah. But even like me coming on this podcast, I, this morning I went and was looking at your podcast on iTunes and I'm trying to remember how many, let me just go to your Zig Ziglar show because I still have it up. How many thousands and thousands of reviews you have on your podcast? Oh, and I have my own podcast with 1300 reviews. Thank you very much. But you know, I looked at yours and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you have 20 million downloads. I have like 1.5 million downloads. And instantly this morning I started that same thing of, you know, that, that little chatterbox voice is what Stephen Furtick calls it. The, who do you think you are Yeah, going on the Zig Ziglar show with, you know, so I think that at every level we have this part of us that wants to sabotage and we've got to be just so recognizing that so that we don't fall for that trap. Hey, I still, I still, I don't know if I'm confident. I'm, I'm still courageous. I don't know if I'm confident. I'm always an imposter, even though actually I'll, I'll brag. We we've gone over 45 million downloads. Now. Are you serious? And oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm bringing it up here because I know this morning I'm like 20 million downloads. Are they kidding me? Yeah. I think oh, it does know, say 40 million. It says oh my 40. God. And, and it yet does. my, one of my, we, we went to a different host and they, um, sh- they, they tutored me on what, and we had done it wrong and we had missed 5 million. We have 10 million with wow. them and, and, yeah. and however, so we're over 45 million. And yet, yeah, I still don't know. Do I feel confident? Do I feel confident in getting ready to, to, to have you on the show? Not really. I always dig so far in to try to get, am I going to get the best out of the message? Mm-hmm. And yet at least I'm courageous. I've got guts enough to show yes. up Amen. and uh, Thank God I'm for guts. grateful for the testimonies and everything. Thank you for doing what you've done to bring this message to us. Thanks for giving you your time uh, here. I am ecstatic to bring your message and this new book to our, to my audience. I know it's, um, it's just going to hit so many, uh, again, root cause issues. That I know people are dealing with, Thank and you. I think they will be thrilled. And I, I hope you sell at least a few million, you know? Well, you know what, from your lips to God's ears, I know. Um, so fears not the boss of you comes out April 7th mm-hmm. and I am sure you already know how the book world works, but mm-hmm. the pre-orders determine if it's going to ever hit a shelf in target or Walmart or what have you. And so I've literally just had to like walk my own walk and talk my own talk. And so I'm like, God, give me guts. I'm literally asking people if they, if my message lines up with theirs and, um, to order two, 
Uh, and I know that's so gutsy, but God gave me that idea one day because if it ends up in any of the right places, not to make me famous, but to make him famous and see women get free, it'll just be because I've got the most amazing tribe of people who just share it. They order one for them and one for a friend or one for them and one for their sister. And so, um, yeah, thank you so much for letting me come on and talk about it. I appreciate it. You. It is a gift. And yes, people, I'll say that in the intro. Everybody will hear that, that this comes out on uh, April 7th. And I see it actually, the ratings are looking good already, even with the pre-sales thank you. Uh, not there. So again, thank you for being on here. I uh, will do this again because I've still got, uh, you know, probably another 10 hours of us to get through. So we'd love that, Kevin. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, friends, I trust you enjoyed this discussion as much as I did. I mean, you can't walk away without being positively affected by Jennifer's just enthusiasm for life and for business. Again, you can connect with Jennifer at jenniferallwood.com where you'll find her new book, Fear Is Not the Boss of You. Coming up in episode 774, I asked the Ziegler audience this question. On a scale from one to 10, how hurried is your life? If it's high, 10, like an espresso squirrel, what feels like the main culprit? If, it, if it's low, one, which I call a sedated tree sloth, what's helped? Well, as this comes, this question hit amidst the COVID-19 crisis, the discussions, of course, veered toward life being too busy in general, but right now it is not. For most, it's very unbusy. And then what do we want to go back to? What's our new normal going to be? Really important topic. Tom Ziegler came and we talked through this. Till then, folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. <laughs>